Alright guys, you're very welcome along to episode 35 again. Uh, this episode I have a life coach, a career coach. My name is Carmel Morrissey. How are you doing, Carmel? I'm doing really well. I'm delighted to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, good stuff. Me too. So I've worked with you a couple of times back in 2011 and more recently in 2019 uh, for career and life advice. Um, just tell the listeners more about what you do. Like I, I just kind of scratched the surface saying you do your career coach or life coach. Just tell the listeners about more what you do. Yeah, so I am a career coach, life coach, mindset coach. So I've been doing this since 2010. So really what I do is I work with individuals or groups to help them to find clarity and with that clarity, confidence. So it could be somebody that's feeling really stuck, which I think a lot of people are feeling at the moment. So unsure about what they want, but knowing that what they're doing right now is not for them. Um, So helping them to get clarity around who they are, what their values are, what their motivators are, where they want to be in a couple of years time, and and then some strategies to help them to get there. Um, I'm also an interview coach. So I was the, the interview expert for Recruit Ireland. I work in emotional intelligence. I'm currently doing a hypnosis and mind coaching course. And uh, two years ago, I completed a course in equine assisted learning. So working with people, use with my horses to help them to find calm and to help them to improve their communication skills. Uh, working with people with anxiety, stress. So I do a lot of different things, but I suppose if you were to put a short title on it, it really for me would be clarity to confidence. Okay. Well, that's uh, that was it. Like 2011, the first time I kind of reached out to you, you were working for then Fast Track CVs. And I, I look, the thing is like, I could do my own CV up and, and it might get me in the door of some companies, but the way you, I like the way your approach was, uh, it's a very personal approach. You kind of meet, you, it's a meeting of minds. Like we went for a, like a coffee in a bar and you just kind of said, tell me about you. Cause if I don't know about you, how am I going to structure the CV uh, to make you stand out uh, from other people? Yeah. So fast track CVs, I set up with a really good friend of mine. Um, mm. It's no longer there, but it was such an amazing learning curve. It really brought me into coaching. And you're right, I worked as a recruiter for a couple of years before I set up Fast Track CVs. And what I really noticed was that, you know, obviously people could put together a CV, but what they struggled with was selling themselves. And for me, again, it's that clarity piece. It's if you don't know who you really are and you don't know what you're looking for, it's very difficult to create that personal brand. And so, you know, what is the feeling that you want the reader to have when they look at your CV or they look at your LinkedIn. And if you don't know what you're looking for, it's very difficult to tailor any any piece of work to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I love working with people one-to-one and and yeah, and I, I enjoyed working with you as well. I still remember it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, that CV got me in the door. The CV kind of, ta- you t- as you said, you could tailor it, like you give like little kind of um, uh, adjectives to say like hardworking, motivated team player, stuff like that. But once you get in the door, I think interviews for me, and I think a lot of people will agree, interviews are a challenge. What do you find like uh, with interviews? Do you find like uh, uh, what makes a really, really good interview for you? Yeah. So just back to, I suppose, firstly, what you said about CVs in terms of using those keywords. 
um, you know, it is important to say things like motivated, history of achieving meaningful results, but you need to be backing that up. Yeah. And so if you really put the work into your CV, it means you're already starting to prepare yourself for interview because you're thinking about how I'm going to back up those things in interview. Because I know a lot of my clients um, would say, you know, sitting in an interview and being asked, what's your biggest achievement? And having to really think about that for the first time you're already stressed. The, adre the adrenaline yeah. is already pumping. So that's really not the time to be thinking about how to answer those questions. So the key to a good interview is really in the preparation. Um, and when I ask people how they prepare, they generally say, oh, I researched the company because we all love using the internet and Googling the company. And yeah. that's what we're really comfortable with. But what we're not so comfortable with is ourselves. Yeah. So really, again, it's that clarity piece. It's who am I? What's my unique selling point? Do I have an elevator pitch? Am I tailoring my answers to the requirement of the role? Mm. If somebody asked me, what are the 10 reasons um, that I, to demonstrate if I'm a good fit or not, you know, could I sit down and, and actually map my answers back around the job description? So preparation is key, but it's actually how you prepare. And the other thing about interviews that I see a lot is how we talk about our performance in interviews. So a lot of people will say, I'm really bad at interviewing. You know, I'm just, I'm not good. Yeah. And the problem is if we start to label ourselves as not good at something, what we're doing is we're internalizing it and we're really creating permanence. You know, I'm not good at something. So what we need to actually do is learn to see not getting the role as information. So what is that information? Is there something that I did really well? Is there something that I didn't do maybe as well as I would like to have done? How can I reflect on that, adapt, adjust? Mm. What information can, or what actions can I put in place to make sure that it doesn't happen the next time? So it's really just about how we perceive the interview and the feedback and the experience itself and not labeling ourselves because that is self-fulfilling prophecy. If we start telling ourselves we're bad at something, um, that's what happens. And actually, I have a really good example. So what I want you to do is, mm -hmm. and this is for anyone listening as well, put yeah. your hand out in front of you. Like this? Yeah. Okay, now imagine yeah. that you have a lemon okay. in your hand. Okay. okay. Yeah. A lemon, yeah. Big, yeah, a lemon. Now imagine that you're going to take a bite out of that lemon. And right now you're putting the lemon up to your mouth and you're taking a bite out of the lemon. What is happening in your mouth? Well, in my in my mind, I'm worried that, that I know what lemon tastes like, and I don't really want to taste it unless it comes with tequila and salt. You know, <laughs> okay. so yeah. okay, o okay. Let's so imagine you are biting into it. What's okay. happening in your mouth? In my mouth, I'd say it's quite juicy. It's quite citric. Yeah. It's quite ac acidic. Yeah. So uh, what happens is our body starts to produce saliva because it's getting ready to digest the lemon. Okay. So we both know we don't actually have a lemon in our hand. Yeah. But what that really demonstrates, I think, is the impact of our thoughts. So if we think something, you know, there is some kind of reaction. So in the same way, if we start thinking, I'm not any good at interviews, there will be some kind of reaction to that. So it's really important to, to I suppose, monitor our self-dialogue. Yeah, I think so. I but like I, I dislike when I went to an interview and I don't give my best and I've done that many times. Or you could be a good candidate, but there's probably someone who's slightly more suited to the role. Would you agree with that? Why do you think you don't give your best sometimes? I, I, I guess you kind of guess. I guess I, I, mean, I guess the stress is probably too much. You get stressed about the whole 
you know, maybe you're kind of thinking ahead, thinking this is the job for me. And then you just forget to stay in the, in the moment. And you yeah. just kind of go, you, you're thinking miles ahead and you're not really staying. You're not, li- you're not really engaged in what they're, they're saying. And sometimes yeah. I find two on one interviews are very stressful because it seems like it's a good cop, bad cop situation. You have one person going, you know, go hard on them. And another person's going, ah, look, let's soften it up a bit, you know. So it depends on the interview, uh, the, yeah. the type of interview it is, really, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. And I would find sometimes with clients, and this is a conversation that we'd have as well, is, you know, sometimes if you really, really want something and yeah. you want it so much that it almost hurts, you know, you really want this job. Mm. Sometimes we almost self-sabotage ourselves a little bit as well in that maybe we don't even prepare as much as we know we should have because what happens if we prepare if we do everything right and we still don't get the job because mm. that doesn't feel great no. and it starts to feed back into how we feel about ourselves and it means maybe the next time we don't even try as hard as we did the last time so again this is about the self-dialogue and, and really looking at attitudes and behaviors and why we're doing what we're doing so that's one side but some people genuinely get really nervous in interviews And a really good uh, piece of advice that somebody gave me and I give to my clients all the time is if you're sitting in an interview or waiting for the interview to start, which is probably actually, I think, much worse when it's at 10 minutes before the Zoom call starts or Mm. before you go into the room, take a moment and whether you're sitting or standing, I would suggest that you put your feet flat on the ground. So two feet flat on the ground. If you actually, if you do this right now. I'm doing it now, yeah. Yeah. And what I want you to do is imagine all your weight is coming from your head down to your shoulders, down through your body, down to your feet, down into the ground. So push your feet down into the ground as hard as you can. Okay. Yeah. And generally when you do that, the only thing you're thinking about in that moment is pushing your feet down into the ground. And what you're doing is you're breaking that spiral. So you know that what if this happens and then that happens or they ask me a question and I can't answer it and it speeds up and speeds up. Actually, by doing that, you're resetting. So you're just pressing the reset button. You take a breath. Nobody will know that you're doing that. So that's the beautiful thing. You know, Mm -hmm. you can be in an interview and do this. Just push your feet down to the ground, take a breath and go again. The other piece of advice for people who are really nervous is practice so I think everybody should be writing out the answers to their questions in advance of interview so I certainly wouldn't go to an interview and be thinking about my answers for the first time and the problem sometimes with practicing in our head is we don't always have that clarity so we think we know what we're going to say until we start to say it and then sometimes it goes in one direction and the thinking goes in one direction and we forget the question or we just totally go in the direction we wouldn't want to go in at all. But if you in advance have firstly written out your answers, it means you know what you want to say. Then I would practice them out loud because what will happen then is you'll actually start to adapt and it'll become much more um, comfortable. Mm. And then I would look in the mirror or I would record myself actually with these answers out loud because the more uncomfortable you make yourself before the interview the easier the interview will actually become yeah but you have to remember that if they're they're not a charity Mm. so if they're bringing you for interview it's because they genuinely believe that you potentially can do the job now you might be the wild card you know there could be somebody that has more experience 
but you need to own it. And that's why a really nice exercise before the interview as well is to write out 10 reasons why you're right for the job and actually expand on those 10 reasons as much as you can because psychologically you're reminding yourself as to why you're going to interview. And then it's the preparation. It's really preparing well. So some people prepare, you know, they might spend eight hours preparing, but if you're not preparing the right things, then it's really just a waste of your energy. Yeah. No, I like, I mean, when I spoke to you in 2011, I, I was quite, quite, quite lost in, in what I, in any direction I wanted to be. I, I was working at the moment at the time I was working as a debt collector. Fast forward, you know, nearly 10 years, nine, 10 years on now, I think it is. I think it was February mm-hmm. 2011. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So, but basically yeah, yeah, 10 wow. years. And I, I'm working. I work in tourism. I know at the, at the moment with what's going on, everything's slowed down. But the job I, I'm in, I'm happy. Like I enjoy what I do. Um, but it took a long time to get to that point. And I've I've traveled around the, uh, around the world, working a cruise ship, stuff like that. So I'm happier with my choices. But maybe in, when I was doing the interviews for certain jobs, I just didn't fit those roles. It, it, just, it just takes time to figure out what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You know. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I've also had clients who haven't felt that they've performed as well as they would like to an interview and actually Mm. on reflection, they didn't really want the job. Yeah. So Mm. yeah, I think sometimes our subconscious is telling us that this is not the right fit and we're just not listening. Um, And again, that's where the clarity comes in. I think most people that I've worked with from a coaching perspective have known what they really want to do but it was really buried. It was buried beneath, I can't do that. Um, you know, what happens if I put all this effort into trying something new and it mm. isn't for me? So there's a lot of self-sabotaging that we do um, because we don't really want to be vulnerable. We don't, you know, with any change, we have to be brave and with bravery comes vulnerability. And most of us don't like being vulnerable. You know, we don't like being exposed. So. It's really about setting yourself up for success and really doing the work to figure out Mm. who am I? What are my values? What are my motivators? What are my priorities in life right now? So what are the things I can do Um, and how do I get there? And then how do I make sure that I maintain a healthy mindset so that I can overcome obstacles that will pop up along the way? I think that's one thing I noticed about you and I've I've only met you. It's my third time meeting you. So twice in person and once on this call. every 10 years. (laughs) <laughs> exactly every 10 years yeah and um you have such a self-awareness have you always had that self-awareness growing up like about yourself that you kind of you you, you have that kind of empathetic nature and, and you're, you're more aware of yourself and, and you want to help people and that's what, what you're doing you're helping people personally and professionally uh good question i'm sure i would looking back i would probably say yes but i don't know if you were to go back to the 10 year old version of me i don't know if i was yeah. that empathetic i think for me I loved horses from a really, really young age. And we didn't have horses at home, but my my grandmother said she remembers me one day saying, when I'm 12, I'm going to go and get a job with horses. And she just thought, yeah, you know, fine. Yeah, you will. Uh, and when I was 12, I marched down to this local farm. They play polo there. And I said, I would like a job. And I couldn't do anything. I mean, I was little. I don't think I could even lift a saddle. And they must have taken pity on me. And they said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll give you a job. And so from 12 to 19, I spent evenings, summers, weekends around horses. And the thing about horses is, they are obviously nonverbal. Every horse is different. And, you know, they will give you cues, but they're all really subtle. 
So I think for me, that was a really good foundation. And then I went to university for a year when I was 19 and hated it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you're so lucky you're a career coach. And they imagine that, you know, my career was very, you know, was set out when I was 18. It wasn't. I went to UCD and I chose history, economics and politics to study because I thought it sounded really difficult, <laughs> which shows how much insight I had. And I hated it. I was from Waterford. I had no friends up there. Lectures, I think, were like 12 hours a week and it just didn't suit me. So I told my parents that I was going to take a year out and go and do polo. So I went to England and I ended up traveling around the world doing polo. It was such a good foundation because you work with a lot of really powerful people who have a lot of egos. And again, it really helped me in terms of reading people and working with people and, and different types of mindsets. And then when I was 25, I realized that I couldn't do it forever. And I loved psychology. So I was living in England at the time. So I applied to the University of Surrey and they brought me for an interview and she asked me why I wanted to do psychology. And at the time, I don't know if you remember Cracker. It was a bit like Criminal Minds. Uh, Robbie Coltrane? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was on TV. I and do. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. said to her, you know, I love Cracker. I really want to know why people do what they do. Yeah. And she said to me, you don't have a clue about psychology. So she sent me off and made me write an essay about all the different modalities. So cognitive psychology and developmental psychology. And she was right. I, I really didn't have a clue, but mm. they accepted me and psychology felt like home for mm. me. But they had taken me until I was 25 or 26 to really know what I wanted to do. And college university was a much different experience for me because I knew who I was as a person. I knew where I wanted to go. Then I decided to come back to Ireland and it's funny actually how my career has worked because I thought at the time I had specialized in university in forensic psychology and work psychology. So they were the two areas that I was really interested in. And I thought, oh, I'd love to work with people and finding them jobs. And I really didn't know much more beyond that, which makes mm -hmm. me feel like I must have been very naive, but times were different. I mean, we're talking 15 years ago. So I came back and I went into sales for a little while and then I got a job for recruitment. A, a recruitment job came up and I was interviewed and she really liked actually the fact that I'd worked with horses. So it, it kind of had opened the door for me. I went in and realized that for me personally, recruitment was much more about making money than it was yeah. helping the people. Now for me, I mean, if there's any recruiters, yeah. Yeah. Thing, you know, they're, they're a great service but it wasn't for me mm. and so i thought you know what like i said cvs were coming in and i could see people had great experience but they just weren't being looked at because they weren't selling themselves and, and selling yourself is really difficult it so is. that's where fast track cvs came from and then i was doing a lot of um talking events so different expos and i was being asked to present on cvs and jane from clearview saw me presenting so she at the time was thinking about bringing someone else into her business she was really well established and so yeah so that was 11 years ago and then i continued so i've always upskilled so I, you know my emotional intelligence i've done conflict management i've done psychometrics and um, work coaching then the equine assisted learning now the hypnosis and mind coaching so i've continued to kind of evolve and a couple of years ago then i thought oh i'd love to do something with my horses and with clients and facebook was listening obviously 
and an ad popped up for Festina Lente, which was a course, a year long course in equine assisted learning. A lot of it, is, it's all been very organic, but I'd like to do this. Yeah, but you've been willing to learn. Uh, you've always wanted to learn. I mean, I've kind of like, last time I was in college in 2008 so I've been a long time out of learning but I'm always learning in life but you've been mm-hmm. like some people need to see that like a physical certificate or like you know yeah I mean for me I think the certificates are just a nice added bonus yeah um, I, I know people who are very much like you say who it's about that certification and putting mm-hmm. it on the wall Mm-hmm. And I don't actually, in some ways, I'm I'm not one of those people who loves learning, but I seem to be always drawn back because I'm curious. Mm. And the more that I do, the more resources I feel that I have to work with my clients. So at the moment, I'm, I spoke to you about this before we came on, I'm setting up a, a new coaching business. So I'm still coaching, but this is me formalizing it. Most of my business has always come from referrals. So this is about me putting a website up and not just relying on my LinkedIn. I'm doing a hypnosis course and I absolutely love it because to be honest, my impression of hypnosis was probably stage hypnosis, you know, mm. turning someone into a chicken. What I've learned is it is amazing and that coaching can help people to change attitudes and behaviors, which is really how we change. But actually hypnosis can go deeper, you know, it can go to the subconscious and help people to reprogram thoughts and behaviors that are getting them stuck that maybe if we were just talking we would never really really be able to replace them um but hypnosis just brings somebody to this really relaxed state where they where we bypass really the critical part of the mind and Mm. we replace it with something that's much more positive and, and much more able to help you grow i am committed to learning and developing but it's more because i'm curious and i keep finding more things that i want to learn about as opposed to formally i want the certificates yeah, uh, you mentioned equine, but but I was I was kind of hesitant to to uh, to see whether you work in equine world. Do you like do you do any horse whispering or anything like that? Well, it depends. I don't know what you. It depends on how you define horse whispering. Um, no, we have seven horses here. Okay. So at home, so most of my lockdown is really looking after them and working. Horse whispering. It's you know it's really just about spending time with horses is really good for your soul. So there is actually so much research, scientific research that has been done that shows us that we can reduce a heart rate. Horses live in the moment. You know, they don't live in the past. They don't live in the future. Um, we struggle with that as humans. So horses actually encourage us to do the same. They really love congruency. So, you know, if you're working with a client and you ask them how they are and they say, I'm fine. But if you go into the arena and the horse doesn't want to be with the client, um, quite often it's because that person is not really fine. Yeah. And as soon as they admit, actually, I'm a bit nervous or I'm scared or I had a really crap day yesterday, you'll be surprised. The horse will come back and stand with the person. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really special. So does a horse gravitate towards you, like your energy somewhat? Yeah. 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 So horses are really drawn to balanced okay. energy. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that you need to be happy all the time. It just needs, it just means that you need to be aware. And yeah, so they're very good for anxiety. And a couple of years ago, I had skin cancer and I had to have a couple of surgeries. And I would say that it was my horses that, you know, when I had a really crap day and I had, I had a big scar at the time, 
I would come home and spend time with my horses and even just brushing. There's a lot of research that's been done around the actual action of brushing. And I think for people, and, and this is me, certainly, I would yeah. struggle to just sit and meditate. Whereas when you're with the horses, it's mindfulness, but it's almost guided because the horse is there, you hear them breathing, you feel them. Um, so it works really well if you're like me and you would struggle to sit in a field, close your eyes and switch off because I would have quite a busy head. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's, that's why, I, that's why I kind of gravitate towards you as well and why you kind of came towards me as well because when you met me, you know I'm busy. Like I remember I went to, I was speaking to one guy and he said to me, he said to me, you need to, you need to go and walk on a beach because you're you're so hyper you need to go you need to actually touch your feet off the sand to really feel grounded because sometimes Ground yourself, yeah. yeah you're always kind of in your head you know and and you just need to you know stay in the moment and and get out of your head a little bit you know so you, you you grew up with no horses now you have seven horses wow well when i met my husband he had three horses okay i had two horses and then we acquired another two <laughs> along the way yeah <laughs> So do you have any like domestic pets, like a cat or a dog or? Okay. So I'm going to sound like I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to sound like I'm a mad cat woman. Um, we have seven horses, five cats and a dog. I have a German shepherd who is in my office. He comes in and lies down in his bed while I'm doing my coaching. Okay. Uh, because a little bit, maybe like people with children at the moment, he wasn't used to me being at home. Yeah. And when I am at home, he's with me all the time. So he wasn't comfortable not being in the room with me if I was at home. So we have a deal. He lies on his bed with his squeaky toy in the corner. And occasionally a client might hear a squeak and that's him chewing on his squeaky toy. Yeah. How many cats is he had? Do we really have to reiterate? Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. We, have, we have five cats, but in my defense, we had two. And then my husband found uh, three kittens that had been abandoned okay. and brought them home. So I hand reared them. Wow. Um, with I was going to rehome them, but that was never going to happen. Now, luckily, we live in a big old house. Yeah. Um. So we live on a farm. So nice. You know, there's yeah. lots of space. Yeah. Exactly. You need to fill. And we actually have a yard cat as well. So six cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I used to live in a place. I used to have a uh, a house cat, and I love house cats because they they don't know what the outside world is like, but they're so they're, they're more gentle. You know, they're not going out and hunting their their prey. They're literally getting fed. And they, 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 they warm to you, you know? Yeah, but I think we can actually learn a lot from cats as well. They're very good with boundaries. Okay. So a lot of the time things are done, but it's done on their terms. Yeah. Whereas I think if you compare it to a dog, um, you know, they don't have great boundaries at all. They just want <laughs> to make you happy. They just want to be with you. Whatever you want, they want. So I think it's even a really good lesson in terms of, you know, for me, I, I always need to work on my boundaries. So sometimes I look at the cats and I think, yeah, I need to be a little bit like you. But yeah. I think anyone who has pets at the moment, certainly during COVID, I think we're very lucky because I know for me, the structure of having to look after my horses every day mm. has meant that I've gotten up in the morning, I've gone out, done my couple of hours work, and I know I have to do the same in the evening again. So I think something that really bothered me kind of coming up to COVID was the number of people that I would see that had to leave their rental homes and couldn't find another home where that they could rent and have pets. So people were having to rehome their pets. And I just think the sooner we start to recognize the role that pets play in some people's lives in terms of their mental health, 
mm-hmm. and acknowledging that um i think i think it'll be really good i think it'll be really good for all involved especially in ireland i like um dogs and cats are very very important to to the home like they literally become a member of the family they might even go ahead of you in some regards in the rank you know because they they're so lovable and 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 depends on the breed as well i guess some breeds are a bit more um volatile i guess we used to have a labrador and he was just he was the stupidest thing ever but he was just great you know he just was uh you'd lock him in the room and he'd bark to open the door he never actually jumped up and opened the door himself he'd always bark and the door would open magically he'd bark the door <laughs> open you know, crazy yeah. stuff like <laughs> yeah well i um two two and a half years ago my father-in-law uh, got septicemia and ended up in intensive care he was in hospital for nearly a year mm. and when he was in a coma i in his room i stuck up all pictures of the horses and the dog so that when he woke up because he loved them they were you know they were his grandchildren in some ways um so when he woke up that's what he would see and you know they were so amazing in the hospital they called us one day and asked us to there you can see he's in the background (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's not supposed to be doing that um they called us and asked us to bring him to the hospital so my father-in-law was still in intensive care, but he was getting stronger. Yeah. And they actually um, organized for us to bring him inside the door of the hospital into this room. And the nurses brought my father-in-law down with his oxygen, with his intensive care nurses. They brought Pluto, my dog, in, um, said hello. The nurses were crying. My father-in-law was crying. They took a picture. They took pictures. And by the time my father-in-law got back to his intensive care room, they were on his wall. And, you know, the consultant said the next day that he just felt like it had made such a difference to his recovery because it just reminded him that there was something outside of the hospital. And, and in America, you know, that's something that's done a lot. They have, you know, pets that go into the hospitals and um, into the different wards. So it was amazing that they did that. They have dogs who are therapy dogs and stuff like that. I know they used to have dogs who are like police dogs. But they have dogs who go into hospitals and stuff like that and are therapy for people because dogs kind of bring that kind of hope, you know? Yeah, they do. And touch. I yeah. mean, if you think about it at the moment, one of the things that people are really deprived of is touch. You yeah. know, we can't yeah. hug, we can't shake hands. Mm-hmm. If you're living on your own and you don't have a partner, or you don't have children, where does touch come from? True. So, yeah. you know, that cat or dog is actually, it's touch. It's that connection that I think we we need. Yeah. Um, so they are really, really important. Yeah. You mentioned about uh, structure and routine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about goals. You know, you're, you're dealing with people who have, you know, come in with no goals or lack of goals or, or, or they have ambition but don't know where to harness that energy. So tell mm-hmm. me about, like, what, what's your, from your experience, what do you find is the main barrier for people to not achieve their goals or even start looking towards their goals? So I'm going to use the word clarity again. Um, So sometimes it's the feeling of we should be achieving something, but then we don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Or we're comparing ourselves to other people and what they're achieving, but not actually recognizing that that mightn't even be what we want. On the flip side, I've worked with people who on the outside look like they are achieving everything. So I'm talking, you know, working for a great company, great salary, great prospects. But I had one client tell me that they got a promotion, they went to the bathroom and cried because it meant that they, firstly, they felt guilty because Mm. they should be happy. Um, But then secondly, it meant that they weren't going anywhere. 
So I think clarity around goals is really, really important and actually asking ourselves, what do we want? Because we're all individuals, you know, what motivates you, Shane, might be very different than what motivates me. I don't know what that is, then how do you set a goal in the first place? The second thing that I would say around goals is it's about balance. So one of the reasons I called my coaching business Equilibrium is, and I find this myself, is because sometimes we can get into the pattern of chasing. So we achieve one thing, and before we even really spend any time celebrating that achievement, we're already thinking about the next thing. So what happens is we get really tired. You know, we start to get fatigued because we don't ever really celebrate what we have up to this point, and we can't keep chasing. So I think the balance is between what we want, but also how much we've achieved to get to this point. And I think as well, and especially January, because, you know, we all have our New Year's resolutions and even though I don't this year. And I, I like actually there's been a bit of a pushback that, you know, this is not about this year, you know, about having a New Year's resolution. It's just about maybe surviving for mm -hmm. some people. Mm -hmm. um, but generally with, with resolutions, we stick to them until the first time we perceive that we fail. So maybe I've given up sugar and then I have a crappy day, I'm feeling tired, I reach for the bar of chocolate. And then what I do is I start to internalize, well, there you go now, you know, you broke it, you didn't even last a week, you're no good, you're lazy, whatever it is that, that you know, I, I play in my mind. And what we're doing is we're really not giving ourselves a chance. We're seeing eating that bar of chocolate as a failure as opposed to information. And what I mean by that is, what was the activating event? So why was it that I felt I needed to reach for that bar of chocolate? So maybe I'd sat at my desk for three hours solid and I hadn't gotten up, I hadn't gone for a walk, I hadn't gotten any fresh air. And had I done that, maybe I wouldn't reach for the bar of chocolate. So what you do is you take that information and you look at what you can do differently the next day and we just keep trying until we reach um, our goal. The other thing is, I think it's really important to have these little milestones. So, you know, I might say I'm never going to eat chocolate again, but that's quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think if I say I'm not going to eat chocolate for the day and I, I manage that, yeah. you know, that's worth celebrating. And that's what will motivate us to keep going. So you have a, you have a very uh, broad understanding of yourself and the mind and how it works. But with people, when people actually start failing, especially people you are coaching or, or, or giving advice to, how do you uh, manage their expectations and how do you make them feel better about, about not achieving on the first go or the second go? Yeah, so I have a lot of tools, but that's not to say that I don't experience any of those things myself. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, during the summer, during the summer, it's all kind of rolled into one. During COVID, that's probably yeah, the yeah, best yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during one of the lockdowns, I've, I've wanted to work on this new workbook for a really long time. I was sitting down and nothing was happening. And I was getting really frustrated at myself. And I was actually starting to feel like I was lazy. And, you know, all these other people I knew were starting to produce, were writing books, you know. And every mm. time I looked on Facebook, someone was doing a new course. And I started to feel like what was wrong with me. So the first thing is I feel what everybody else feels, but yeah. the difference is because I've done, I've, I mean, I, I've coached for 10 years. I think I've over 10,000 hours coaching, 
because I've worked with so many people and I have so many resources, I recognize when I start to behave that way or when I start to run a tape that's not helpful mm. and I have the tools to work to overcome that obstacle. So the first thing is I really do understand how people feel because I do it myself. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how I help people, so it's really just about giving people the opportunity to figure out who they are as individuals. So like I said before, it could be something like, what are, you know, what's really important to you in your life? So when you're looking back in your life and you're 90, what would you like to have achieved? How would you like to have felt about your life? How would you like people to remember you? Then I might do some work with them around their values. So what are your, what, what's your compass? How is it you want to live your life? Um, your motivators. So what are the four or five things that you know that you need from your work or from your life in order to feel like you're working towards purpose and passion? Um, then generally I would work with people around, well, what are your priorities? And that's a really important question if you're feeling anyway stuck, because generally priorities, in my experience, come down to job title, salary, work-life balance, location. And let's imagine I'm starting out in my career, I have no dependents, and I really just want to get experience. I'll probably think about traveling further. I'll probably work for less because it's really just about getting that experience that I can leverage. But let's imagine I have two small kids, I'm paying a mortgage, I mightn't be able to do exactly what I want in this moment. So maybe I will take a job that doesn't tick all the boxes or I will work for less if I can have something that's really close to home and work-life balance is something I, I can have. But it's about recognizing where you're at right now and also that that will pass. You know, So what's your plan for maybe when your kids are a little bit older and you have paid a little bit more off your mortgage, how can you start working towards that next chapter? And I like to see our lives in terms of chapters. You know, so what do you want the next chapter of your life to look like? Because I really do believe we write it to a certain extent. Um, we can't have everything we want, but I think the clearer we become on what we want, the easier it's, it is to start making the right decisions. No, you're right. It is. I mean, we we all we all feel that we can uh, we can achieve certain successes, but we also get down and so down that we just give up on our, our our dreams and hopes because you know because we have one barrier in our way and one barrier doesn't stop you. You know, um, and yeah. you're you're talking about life uh, goals. You, have you are, are you are you drawing up a life book? You know, like one of those life books that people can follow and kind of achieve yeah so I've called it a workbook but mm. basically it's called from clarity to confidence so it is a series of exercises that people can work through um, and in February I'm also going to be launching um, an online workshop so it's going to be three weeks where I work through the workshop with them um, one hour a week and they get a 30 day journal. So when the course is, you know, sometimes when you finish a course and everything was great, but then it's over. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, your habits and your behaviors go straight out the window. So I've created a 30 day journal um, that will allow you then to really continue embedding any new behaviors or attitudes that, that you need to. And there'll be a one hour clarity call with me as well. So I'll be working with, it's going to be small groups. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to do that. That's great. I want to know about what your inspirations are or who your inspirations are personally and professionally that brought you to this point in your career and life. Yeah. So in terms of inspiration, 
I mean, I think professionally and personally, probably would be somebody like Brené Brown, who I've followed for years. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who's ever in any of my workshops knows that I quote her quite a bit. And what I love about her work is her work around vulnerability. So I think, especially in Ireland, um, you know, we're not brought up to be vulnerable. You know, you're, you're, you're brought up maybe not necessarily um, showing your feelings. So vulnerability in her eyes is very much part of the journey of being brave in your life, that if you're not feeling vulnerable, then you're not being brave. So I I really, really like the work she does around that because we don't like being vulnerable. I don't like being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but stepping out into vulnerability and having a support network around you. So really thinking about who are the people that I can count on who are my maybe accountability buddies while I go through this change so while I upskill reskill while I look at my attitudes behaviors um I think is really important because what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for success so I absolutely love her I think then personally I am really really inspired by people who are brave in their lives so I listened to the late late show Friday night and Vicky Phelan I mean I don't know if you saw it but it was so emotional I don't really know her story I, I I've heard a little bit about, about in the media but I know she's an inspiration especially for women you know um but I don't really know her story can you can you tell me a bit more of her story well, to be honest I mean I I know the cervical check scandal but I hadn't followed her story she's mm. someone that, that just popped up every now and then and I actually don't watch the news a huge amount yeah. but what I I suppose what really got me on Friday night was her vulnerability you know that Mm. here is this woman who is choosing life and you know she's taking a risk going to America and and maybe not seeing her kids again and I loved the mixture of you know she's analytical she does her research but she was also showing her vulnerability and I also loved um when she was talking about her son and when they were talking about how she was going to the States and obviously it was going to be difficult on, on him. And he said, but what about other people? You know, some people don't have a mother at all. And so what really inspires me is kindness. You know, people who are, are kind, people who are brave, people who help other people. Mm. The lady who runs the hypnosis course that I'm doing, she has this hashtag grow by giving. And I love it. And, and that's actually my my plan for this year with my business that obviously I want to grow my business. I want to do well, but I also want to try and give as well, you know, give back, give back to my friends and and colleagues who have brilliant businesses and who've been really brave and that some of them have left well-paying jobs to set up businesses because they were so passionate about helping people or working in a particular area. So yeah, so kindness, bravery, um they're kind of the things that really inspire me yeah yeah because maybe you know being brave is hard and and you know even for me putting my website out there as much as I have been in I suppose the public's eye for the last 10 years Mm. it's been kind of in the shadows and that work has always come to me and I know even for me putting my website out there I'm a little bit like like there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome that, that pops up its head and again you have to you have to talk yourself around and, and explain to yourself why these things are, you know, not valid and, and that you have to push through and that you're just feeling vulnerable. And it's part of the process. It's very and, important. And there's a thing called cognitive fusion and it's something I always work with my clients on. Mm. 
and it is where we forget to question what we think so mm -hmm. you know because we think is we assume it's true and that's where people get very stuck sometimes so you know be it my website or I got voted in uh, the top 20 coaches in Dublin a week and a half ago. Um, somebody emailed me on LinkedIn and, and there was a survey done. And my first reaction was to call one of my friends and I was 16 out of 20 and, and say to her, I don't know if I should post this. I mean, I was number 16, you know, is that, is that okay? And, you know, she said to me, like, there's hundreds of coaches in Dublin, 16 is really good. But I needed that reassurance, you know, to what will people think if you put it up? Yeah. Uh, I just needed to someone to talk me back off the ledge and I did and I put it up and, and it was fine. And the thing is, like that's 15, 20 years ago, like let's say 20 years ago, like there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was there was no like social media outlet that could people could literally instantaneously review you or critique you and everyone will know about your work, you know, or know about your your failings or your successes, you know. So yeah. it's under, these days, things are under the microscope, you know, and like, for example, the podcast, when I started out doing the podcast, putting out, out my work and anyone in the, in, in the creative field, it's a lot of stress when you put it up, post it up and, and you're getting and, you, and you're not getting feedback or you're getting feedback. Or you might get negative feedback or yeah, positive. Because you're feedback. vulnerable. It is. It's vulnerable. So yeah. it's that's what yeah. I like with the podcast. I'm, I'm trying to show some vulnerability. I'm trying to I sh you shouldn't need a podcast to, to learn about the vulnerability fact uh, factor. But for me, the podcast is a way of kind of expressing my vulnerability or meeting people. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a coach, it would be very easy for me to say that, of course, I always follow my own strategies. Yeah. And, you know, I never have nagging doubts. But that to me is not real for me. <laughs> yeah. And I would yeah. much rather people work with me because they know that it's an authentic experience i know that i'm very good at what i do yeah. um but stepping out and in, in terms of a website yeah I, I was i am vulnerable but i will do it because mm. i want to be brave so it will ha it will happen it's launching on on monday exactly yeah, um, yeah. So we'll be there, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i know that that coaching is about fit you know that's yeah. really what it's about and it's funny because i have found that you always attract the people that you really want to work with yeah so you you, you tend to attract for whatever reason um the right fit for you so mm. yeah one of the things i was going to ask you okay again what inspirations was your hobbies and interests but you pretty much told me your hobbies and interests you're, you're very much a animal lover you uh, like to self-learn you like to educate yourself on the bait on the back of what you do as a career and it does help you personally and professionally but I've started to read, I've started to read a bit more and well, actually I listen to more audio books, especially those kind of like heavy hitter kind of motivational books. But can you tell the listeners any book that you rec recommend has changed your life or what you're reading now or, or what, what, what do you, what, what books do you kind of read normally on a day-to-day -day basis even? So I listen to Audible and I listen okay. to a lot of thrillers. I love a good murder okay. story. Bro, okay. Yeah. It's not reflective on, yeah, on me as a I person. I find when I'm out mucking at the stables or I'm doing anything outside, I just love the distraction because again, I do have a busy mind. So it's a really good way mm. to, to just calm things down. Um, again, if I was recommending something for somebody to read, it would be one of the Brené Brown books, like maybe Daring Greatly. Okay. Um, and what I love about those is she reads her own books and she's an amazing storyteller. So you actually really get, um, you get Brené Brown and, 
And I remember being out walking my dog and listening to a podcast. And I was literally saying out loud, yeah, yeah. You know, it was really resonating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, I think I, I would look at Brené Brown. She also has the Netflix show now as well. So if people aren't familiar with her, it's a good place to start. She's the second most watched um, TED Talk ever. Wow. So, you know, she's really, if people aren't familiar with her, she's a, it's a good place to start that's good now i've 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 read a few books again i've done the audible done the audio book more because i can kind of do other things on the side and listen to it whereas you're reading you have to be totally you yeah. know immersed in it you know like I, i've listened to uh malcolm gladwell do you know him yeah 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 uh, Out- strangers um um it's called it's called outliers this one the clothing ma- manufacturers that they're all from a certain kind of uh part of the world you know and 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 they're outliers because they uh have um they just think differently to other people and and, and the, he went down to like to the, to, to the mechanics of, of why people have become successful and stuff like that and, and it doesn't have people don't have to follow the same path but mm-hmm. some people are, are are destined for things and some people you know fall into things you know yeah also as well uh your man dale carnegie that his book is from 1936 okay wow. how to win friends and influence people yeah and that's still, I, six, I hadn't realized that well wow. yeah that still reigns true to today i feel i've some of the stuff he talks about like you know um especially like the whole uh, conversational piece when you meet someone a stranger that person who's been speaking to you hasn't talked about themselves they just wants to know about you they just want to know about what you do like and, and like they go what, what what does he do i don't know but he, he learned so about so much about me doesn't matter he connected with me on 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 a a different level you know yeah i mean connection really is the key it's the key to emotional intelligence is a better predictor of success in the workplace than iq Mm. so you know that ability to recognize how you need to communicate with people and being able to adapt us um is you know it's a gift and but it's also something we can work on so that's what so positive about emotional intelligence again if we have the clarity around what areas we need to work on um you know we can actually put exercises in place to to increase the different areas that's great no no it's true the connection is most important especially you know if you're in you know a face-to-face role or you're in a sales role or you're in a coaching role you have to have that connection you know that connection people are going to going to come to you and want your help because yeah. there's, there's no it, it's kind of like a, a relationship you, got, you have to have something that connects it together and yeah. that kind of you know you know glues it together a little bit so, so so there's a bit of trust there as well a bit of um um you know mutual respect in a way you know yeah i think it's with coaching as well you know you can have a very transactional relationship where it's just about somebody comes gives you the money you do the exercises and off they go yeah um, but the transformational relationship which is is what i love about working with people it mm. is that connection yeah and you know i will find that i'll get a text from somebody that maybe i coached two years ago to tell me they had a baby or you know somebody coached or somebody sent an email to um tud because i i do some lecturing on their springboard program there to say just right before christmas to say Mm. that she'd gotten her dream job and that she wanted to thank me because of everything that she'd learned and she was sure that i'd helped hundreds of people and you know i said to my husband how privileged am i that the day that she gets her dream job 
she thinks of me you know I was mm. doing my job I was paid to do it but she obviously felt that the connection was there between us that's what I love about my work yeah you, you, you leave a lasting impression on them and then they're almost it's almost like a friendship in a way even though you might have sp- spoke to the person in a while because yeah. you have other clients but they'll always keep that kind of keep in touch you know that yeah yeah and that we actually you know I think we have a tendency to rely on just sending a whatsapp message or mm. sending a text and and I was you know as much as we need connection sometimes we don't do the thing that we really need you know because maybe we're not feeling great or yeah. we don't want to be telling someone else how we really feel so we avoid picking the phone up and calling people but I actually think actually talking to someone is so important I think now more than ever ever and I really you know like I said I love the connection I love being in the room with people and for me moving my coaching online I really wasn't sure if it was going to work or not because I love the energy of of the person in the room being able Mm. to see you know the, the their bodies move while they're talking to you and I had to really step outside my comfort zone and do it but I absolutely love it and I find now as well some people find it easier to be vulnerable in their own space you know they're in their own house they're in their own bedroom and people will really share yeah um but yeah so I in the beginning I was thinking I'm not going to be able to do this online I'm not overly technical I don't know if it's going to what if it doesn't work yeah so again it's that vulnerability piece but it's working really well and I love it now I'm gonna, I want to finish up because uh, I've I've kept you away from whatever you're up to, to today. I'm sure you're busy. If you were to advise people on resolutions, give, give me three resolutions that you think people should maybe focus on for 2021. Okay, so I'm going to move away from the word should. Okay, uh, I think potentially yeah. will or I don't know. Okay, yeah, let's. I think, it's cho- <laughs> I think we can give people choice. So okay, instead okay. of telling them what they should do, okay, okay, I'm going to maybe talk about how you could frame. Okay, um, frame. your resolutions okay. yeah so I think for me the first thing would really be to think about simple but smart resolutions so smart instead of specific make it simple something that you can do on a day-to-day basis that's not going to involve you turning everything on its head because you know a lot of the time we're time poor you know someone could be homeschooling they could be working so implementing a new habit that's going to take two hours every day is, is possibly not going to work no. So something smart, but simple, um, celebrate milestones. So make sure that you put in place little milestones so that you know that you're on track and that you celebrate them. So it's not a case of, okay, I didn't eat chocolate for three days, um, but now I'm going to give it up forever. It's about three days. Well, that was really good. You know, write it down, maybe journaling, take, you know, take a little bit of time to celebrate the fact that's a win in itself. The third one that I would, that I would recommend would be around self-care. So try and implement something that is for you, just you every day. And it's amazing how many people I work with who don't do that because they feel like, giving themselves time is somehow taking from somebody else. And, you know, I say to my clients, you know, when you're on a plane and, you know, there's oxygen masks pop down in front of you, there's a reason why you have to put your mask on before you put your child's mask on. Because if you don't have enough energy, if you don't have enough oxygen, you have nothing to give to anybody else. So I would suggest choosing something that is maybe 
first thing in the morning before everybody gets up that is small but is important to you so be it going for a walk meditating having a cup of tea and looking out at the garden and um, but something that is just for you and that you ring fence you know that you actually see as a priority every day because we all have what's called a window tolerance and you know i think at the moment with with covid our natural reactions are fight flight and freeze and if you think about it, we can't fight it because we can't see it. We can't flee because we actually can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is a lot of people are experiencing freeze, which is where we shut down and, you know, everything starts to really cave in. And that window of tolerance is really the amount of things that we can cope with. If you imagine it like a cup and how much we can put in that cup before it starts to overflow. And, you know, we're all pretty full, I would say, at the moment. But how you increase that window of tolerance is you actually start to invest back in you. So it really is those little things every day that will start to give you more patience and they will help you to see things more positively. Um, it's like investing in the bank of you so that if people take withdrawals, you still have something left. Mm. Yeah. No, wise words as ever. Carmel, thank you. Um, well, what's your New Year's resolution? Awesome. Okay, so I started, um, I seen that lady on News Talk started the 100 uh, walks in 100 days. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm day 10, I'm going to be going for a walk after this call. So that's that's a big thing. And I'm, I'm trying to do that's big walks. Uh, apart from that, just um, I'll keep the podcast going. Uh, again, work on a strategy, educate people a little bit as well. Um, that's where I have you on because you're Hopefully, you're gonna people are gonna get some advice and tips that they could probably use going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I don't really set goals per se. I, I just set a, a one singular goal, like just to just to like to do this by then. Um, my friend is on me to get driving, so uh, he wants me to be be at least uh, have my test by June. But there's a backlog of 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 of, uh, of driving tests at the moment, so I am driving per se, but I'm not physically haven't done a test or I haven't done any lessons so I guess if I'm looking at goals I guess just keep the podcast going as best as it can be keep the walking up 100 days is nearly three is three not three three months yeah. and a bit so it's a long time to be walking every day and I want to get at least two hours a day that's that's quite a hard, that's quite a long walk you know um when I don't have a, a farm like yourself it's quite a long walk okay yeah and also um also, yeah, driving tests. I guess those those are probably my three. But I don't usually make resolutions because I, again, I don't stick to them. So, and I don't want to be. And there's an awful lot of goal shaming as well. And that, that's yeah. one of the things that I suppose makes me push back a little bit about resolutions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The feeling of, oh, look, I didn't do it again. You know, yeah. I joined the gym, paid my membership. I'm lazy. I'm useless. Yeah. I'm whatever. So this is where milestones, I think, are much more achievable. And remember, if you don't. If on one particular day it doesn't mm -hmm. go to plan, what was the activating event? So why didn't it go to plan? Yeah. Learn something and implement the strategy for the next day so mm. that you're not going to be in that position where maybe you reach for the bar of chocolate. Yeah, no, it is. It's easy to just to, to reach for the bar of chocolate or, or just, just stay comfortable sitting down watching TV and then looking at the weather outside going, ah, it's raining out there. I'm not going to go out today. And then you might it might be raining for the next three days or four days because it or months <laughs> yeah because it is ireland yeah. so that's the thing so you just make excuses and uh i'm trying not to make excuses anymore I, i've always made excuses for certain things and i i i, I 
don't want to make excuses anymore. I want to own up to my responsibilities and or whatever goals I I have. I want to achieve mm-hmm. them as best I can. But uh, Carmel, thank you for coming on. Uh, You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. I I knew I knew I would. Uh, there's always that pens pensive moment of you know. What if you don't click? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you want to click as well and. I only met you a couple of times, so there was that pe- pensivity. Pensivity? I made that word up. Uh, there, was, <laughs> there was that uh, pensiveness about uh, meeting you again, but uh, I, I, in, my, in my mind, again, I, I like that lady said, I kind of had those good memories of you, so that's why I was like, Carmel's going to be great. Just no problem there. We're going to have a laugh, you know? She's going to tell yeah. me everything. No, uh, but... Um, Thanks for coming on the show again. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Carol. Talk to you soon, Shane. You too. Take it easy. Bye. Bye bye. See you. And that was Carmel Morrissey. She is a life coach, career coach, very, edu- very highly educated, and hopefully you learned a thing or two. And she taught a few tips about goals and motivation and you know, looking to the future and also kind of self-care as well. There's a lot, there's a lot of that talk as well, because she was talking about learn to love yourself and understand that you know people are human we make mistakes but as a life coach you're just there to understand your client and uh, hopefully you learned a thing or two guys once again my name is shane this podcast called heartlines this is episode 35 so i hope you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed this episode please like share and comment and remember guys you're always welcome here on heartlines take it easy bye-bye